Swim Talkers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to let you know about an exciting addition to Torpedo Swim Talk. We are now not only a podcast, but we have performance workouts for the pool, open water and swimming Pilates. You will also find blogs and all the latest news on our exciting new website. It's called torpedoswimtalk.com. It's free and worth a look if you love your master swimming as much as I do. You can even subscribe to our newsletter so you're always up to date on what's happening in the master swimming world. Don't forget the website's name, torpedoswimtalk.com. Look it up and let us know what you think. Today's guest is a past student of mine who became a world-class swimmer representing Australia on the World Cup circuit and at two FINA World Short Course Championships. She has 35 international world level medals to her name and is a two times NCAA 100 backstroke champion. She's also an Auburn Uni alumni and now a respected clinical psychologist. Today, I welcomed the lovely Rachel Go to the microphone. She gave so much insight into her swimming journey that you won't want to miss this chat. Hope you enjoy. Thank you, Bob. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really grateful for your time because I know how busy you are with your psychology practice. Where are you based these days? Um, I'm based, so we have a clinic in South Melbourne um, and our team of psychologists there. So very blessed with our location. And I personally keep um, half my days telehealth. So this is actually home office. And then I do half the days at the clinic as well. Oh, nice. That's a a good mix. Has that been something that's come about since COVID? Yeah, really good mix because a lot of a lot of the people out there really like um, the convenience of telehealth, and if they can still feel like this medium and mode kind of works for them, great. And then I've got my fur baby, my dog, at home, <laughs> so it makes it a little easier. And he's actually been um, an absolute gorgeous soul, but also an unofficial therapy dog. And one of my clients said, like a volunteer, and I'm like, yeah, he's like that. <laughs> What kind of uh, breed is he? Uh, uh, he's a beagle. So he's actually under <laughs> the table now. And sometimes if I do telehealth, um, he likes to pop his head up from time to time like here and then second therapist. If not um, in yeah. the clinic, the clients always request that he comes in because he knows whenever I'm in a conversation with someone it's our time and then he's doubled down and gone to sleep. <laughs> Oh, isn't he sweet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you manage to get any swimming in these days at all? Yeah, um, mm, yes. <laughs> we are trying to keep our little swimming group one a, once a week. Yeah. Um, you know how it goes at times we've fallen off a little bit, but our swimming group did the interesting um, freezing cold bay swims when COVID lockdown was happening and then um the pools were all shut so a lot of the guys in that group wanted to go swimming anyway um so we persevered (laughs) and then yeah I prefer the pool though oh absolutely me too that was pretty cold in the bay over winter wasn't it oh absolutely freezing like I if it wasn't that funny I don't know how much I would have done it um you just have to laugh because it is uh quote unquote in their words it's like daggers in your face how cold 
it, like it's just the face burns and then you've got to push past that and yeah. the guys were, wanted us to swim and wanted all of us to swim so one of them brought wetsuits for all of us so we were like how'd you do it <laughs> <laughs> look the good thing is that you feel good afterwards yeah yeah that's what I mean if it wasn't that funny it's such a mood boost because you're sort of proud of yourself for doing it, but then at the end of the day it's an absolutely hilarious, if not funny, experience to do it with your team. <laughs> oh, and I, I always felt so pompous around other people who didn't do it. Like I was really <laughs> proud of myself for, for actually getting in the cold water and suffering and, you know, I yeah. thought that was like a really good thing. And <laughs> Yeah, and then you watch other people in the bay and you sort of think how are they not... Like if they're in the water and they've already acclimatised and you sort of think, how are they not freezing? Because you're standing there just like barely making it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's take things back to the beginning of your swimming career. I first met you as a little 11 or 12-year-old when you turned up in year seven at Fairbank where <laughs> I was working. I think you are in my PE yeah. class or my homeroom or something. And yeah. I know you came to the school through um, the swimming coach that was there at the time, Elwyn Barrett. Yeah. How did that all come about that you, you got yourself there and you started off um, probably more serious swimming than you had been doing? Yeah, wow. I mean, I love that question. It brings me back of like a whole world away. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think of a 13 at the time, I don't, I mean, I, I'm a swimmer who I would probably say I've been to, I'm a very Melbourne-based, if not loyal Victorian. I've been to many of the Melbourne-based clubs. So prior to that, I was at a lot younger water lions and I spent my time initially or first sort of club experience was there. Yeah. Um, Furbank was, I had no idea about it, obviously tr truly guided by parents. Um, yeah. I was lucky enough to get a full scholarship there. So because of swimming and it gave me that opportunity and then started that. Alwyn at the time, she was really, if not the only or one of, the only female coaches around um wow. so that was a big yeah that was a big factor in the decision and it wasn't something I'd ever really thought about but it worked out really well yeah mm. how many years did you stay with her before you uh, moved on 13 I mean essentially if most of my high school mm. um I went to Vic Centre at 16 years of age so just sort of it was when I was starting to, with Alwyn, I remember I had won like um, gold medal age national medals and that was kind of my big mm. achievement then. And yeah. then as that kind of progressed, as I went to Vic Center at 16. Yeah. Mm. And, and I can uh, tell you the Furbank side was, sorry, just. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, please, please, please do. Yeah. They were the only club at that age anyway. And you know how the swimming world is. They were strict on six sessions a week and then you do your gym complimentary. I think that was where I also started gym, yes. which was like three times a week. Comparative to all those other big clubs, people in the same age were coming training anywhere from eight to ten sessions a week and yes. they just did not believe that I was swimming six times a week. Yeah, that was a real thing from, from Elwyn, I think. That was her mm -hmm. sort of philosophy because... Lily Frame actually started off with Elwyn and yeah. before she went to, oh, well, she was with, obviously with Waterlines as well before that, yeah. but <laughs> she was on those six sessions and, yeah, when she went to the Institute, she had to step up a little bit step more. Up. 
Yeah. So was like it- I never did a double before. Yeah. Like double sessions on a day before Big Centre, I think, and as I got a bit older. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Maybe that sort of contributed to the longevity of your career because you, you know, mm. were sort of on that World Cup circuit from the time you were 14 right through to 26. And that really back in the early 2000s, that's a really long career. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a few things like obviously contributed to that because, you know, in swimming, they, or I had heard along the way, like a change is as good as a holiday and just when you feel like you're stagnant or stuck, an environmental shift is maybe what you need. And a few of those things gave that to me. And, you know, at that age, you're already, there's already so much going on, trying to manage school and training. And, you know, I understand the benefits of double sessions. I would have done it had it been posed to me. Um, But I also understand that I probably just had an easier balance that I didn't have to think about and I could push in swimming, homework and manage everything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell us what it was like on that World Cup circuit and the short short course world championships that you went to representing Australia. What was that like at the time? (laughs) Best. It was was the absolute, um, the very last one I did was, I would say, time of my life best yeah. ever but I'm actually gonna I'll probably start full circle back because I remember the very first trip that I got on I actually think I was it was somewhere around I was even 16 or maybe just on that cusp time that you're talking about 14 to 16 mm-hmm. um it, the first trip I ever made um it was the European tour of the World Cup which included Paris Stockholm and Berlin, Germany, and that was like the highly desirable one. And it was really interesting because the things that I remember, and I mean, if he's listening, that, you know, it was the first time I was ever on, it was Thorpey and Ian Thorpe was on my team. And as a little kid, you're sort of just, I, I didn't even know what to think, you know, the person you admire, the best in our field. Um, and he was such a beautiful teammate. And it was funny, I was so young and he would always call me Miss Go. And I just loved it. Well, he would treat you like um, just another teammate. And you you learn all these things, but, you know, you learn from your teammates and it was so invaluable. But yeah. that trip, um, we the first leg was Paris, uh, Paris in France. 16 team members, 16 team members, including staff, I think. Um, 14 or 15 of the us got gastro and food poisoning on the very first leg, except for Thorpey. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all, it was, it was like a very um the all I really remember is just being sick with our team with food poisoning or gastro. And the managers and the teams, the staff couldn't necessarily look after us either because they were unwell and we were just getting boiled ice and coke delivered to our hotel room. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if you know, like um, a lot of the teams, they all stay, every country stays in like particular hotels. So they'd have these buses go and then they would see the Australian team, we would have to just get up and... um, I was freezing at the time, but get up and just maybe go for a walk so that you're being a little bit mobile. So we've got those like deck coats on, freezing outside, wrapping up. We look so ill. And then the rest of the world and countries are just going to the meets and they're just like, what happened to them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the the trials and tribulations of travelling in a swimming team. (laughs) 
I know it was hotel food I'm pretty sure it was an hotel and because we got there one day earlier and ate different food to the rest of the team and it just Uh, set off a spiral of events yeah (laughs) that's not good so illness aside what what was a race that you remember from that time that you think you executed really well um always um actually one particular memory it was for some reason in swimming you know that people have fast pools and some reason you just have fast races the berlin the berlin leg and that pool particularly was a a fast pool and so my main event across the legs and the last stint that i did it was nine weeks and we traveled to all the world cup legs um it was a hundred back so preferably my event is a 50 backstroke but the hundred back was always the one that to execute the race right, there was just so a few more things that I had to always be on top of. Like a 50 back, I could do so automatic hit or miss. It's, you know, hundreds of a second each time, but somewhat consistent. Yes. Um, 100 back goals, I just wanted to be hitting more. So it's probably the 100 metres backstroke in Berlin. One race really stands out to me. Um, I think it was the very last, yeah, very last, um leg that I did and it was through my post-accident difficult time and having to come back um and I will never forget this saying because it's a thing that I've carried with me through my life but it actually came from Grant Stolly and he was my assigned coach because I didn't have a home coach at the time um traveling and because our group had traveled the whole way through you had different coaches and different athletes that would just come in and do Um, legs and he took me under his wing at that time Um, and I had been setting the fastest 100 meter backstroke that year time through the the whole series and I had a one of my really tough competitors and you have those moments pre-race where you know you need to get your mind in the right space you need to get your body in the right space and you might see people's nerves a little bit more their negative thoughts creeping in and I sort of knew exactly how I needed to execute it and it was just you'd go to your coach more like a routine. So I went to him more like a pre-race check-in. And it was really interesting because I think the conversation went something around, don't know why, like you have nothing to question about yourself or your race. Everything you've done up to this far has shown in your times and execution and I might have done six, ten, like so many hundred backtracks on that um, tour And he just said to me, back yourself. And he's like, just back yourself. And I can't tell you how much that just resonated with me Yes. in that moment because everything almost just fell into place as soon as he said it. And I had this, yeah, back yourself. No questions, no nothing. I sat with it and it was that perfect timing. And it's funny in my life and through any other race beyond that, I've carried that with me because it was such a certain but self-assured kind of moment and then the race went I think I did the fastest time I had set across the whole tour so far um time wise I'm I'm gonna go for a mental blank here but I was wanting oh something like it was under a 50 
So by the time I finish, oh my god, I'm gonna you're gonna be like Rachel, why can't you remember your time? No, 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 I don't think that. <laughs> but it was under it was under like a fifty at the time. I think it was a fifty-seven nine or um, yeah. something like that. And then towards the end of my career, it was um, fifty-seven one or under that. But you had you know when you're just on the cusp of a point oh oh and then getting the, yes. the second below. So. I'm a little far removed, excuse me, from having all the time logged in my mind. <laughs> That's okay. How did you become such a specialist at short course? Because I know that you were so dominant uh, in um, in that sort of uh, field over that time. Mm. It's so interesting when people say that to me because I know that that is how I raced and I would entirely agree because for most of my career, I then had that. And then I was sort of like, well, how can I be so good at this? And I wanted to transfer that over to be equivalent um, in the long course races. But I think, you know, many, many variables shift and change from short course to long. Um, Honestly, that came about prior, when I was at Vic Centre with Popey, so Ian Pope, I knew I had incredible underwater skills it was just a favorite thing that I've always had and actually start of that probably was Alwyn um Mm. she was the coach who said to us um six kicks off every wall and without question every single wall that you do and I I remember there was like a choice in my mind every wall that I do had to be six kicks and then the times that you're like oh but I'll do four and a five it's still a choice to say well I'll do six Yes. You know, and I adopted that from her. Popey then I knew underwaters I was great. And then it was then I think more solidified as soon as I had gone to the US. Yes. Because um, the US is short course yards, it's racing all the time. But over there I really honed in on developing power and skills because you can gain so much time. just on a turn on a breakout on skills-based work and it does require a little bit more like strength power and control and I spent more of my time in the gym and that's where I then honed in those skills there to then put that all together in short course work yeah yeah that's so interesting I'm glad Mm. you brought up about um your time in the U.S. because I was I was going Mm. to to that you started off at Monash Uni and then you ended up at Auburn University which is a very famous swimming school in the U.S. how did that all come about uh was it a time in my life and I'm sure everyone goes through this in their swimming career as well um really stagnant and I think it actually may have come from Popey. We, we had difficult conversations in there. You always have such a close relationship with your coach that, you know, it's not it's not always perfect. Um, and it was a time where I think I was struggling with uni, um, social life, finding a balance um, and swimming, and I just felt stuck. The times just kept, um, they weren't moving, and then even family life. So all together, it was just a point in my life that I knew I needed something else. And I was training with Brett Hawke and he was sort of, you know, I was still younger, 16, and he was the Olympian um, and had gone to Auburn. And I just didn't even think to connect the two. And I'm very, as you know me, I'm quite um, independent in wanting to earn something out of my own merit. So I wouldn't have felt it was as worthy had he got a spot for me at Auburn. Um, I sort of needed to go down this pathway and just find the places myself. 
Um, Popey did connect me because he is great friends with David Marsh, who was the head coach at the time. Um, And he connected me with him. I actually started conversations in universities. And if you know much about the American system, I was even talking to essentially any coach, any university, not knowing my ability essentially comparative to them. So I was talking like Division Three universities in like Arkansas (laughs) (laughs) and other places that, you know, were not at the level that I was at. And because yards time, you were supposed to convert you know, a short course meters time or a long course meters time to yards. And it just doesn't really add up too much. That's right. And I've got an interesting story about that because um, I think I was uh, Cal Berkeley. I think I had spoken at some point to Terry McKeever, which was Natalie Coughlin's coach. Um, And everyone just kept saying to me, I was too slow. I was too slow, like, because they were going off conversion time. And I don't know. So essentially as a young six. I was closer to 19 when I moved, but at that age, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just accepting what people had said to me. Um, And then the other competitive school was uh, University of Georgia. So if it was Auburn and Georgia, they were number one, number two in the US in the NCAAs. Um, And then the coach there, um, Frank Bush, I think, or... Yeah, Frank Bush, he said to me over the phone, I just specifically remember the word, you're too slow for our team or you're too slow. <laughs> <laughs> you'll show him. And, you know, you always log these things that um, people tell you. And it was funny because I went mid-season as a pickup. So I got a spot at Auburn. Matthew Target was already there. He was um, another Vic Centre guy um, and he was really great in sort of educating me and supporting me and helping me through that process Um, and he obviously wanted another Australian on his team as well Um, went there in December went on their Christmas training camp in the Bahamas which they do once every four years and it was absolutely phenomenal Um, NCAAs came around in March and I ended up winning that year and our team actually ended up winning it was an absolute fairy tale story because I I can't that is such a memorable moment in my life Um, but obviously because I had been picked up by them and we won the entire NCAA competition by three points and it was just this mass game of numbers and it's one of those, yeah, when people tell you you're too slow and then they saw me come in and I ended up winning a 100-back show um, and and all the events, I guess it's kind of like, a, oh, didn't, nor did I know, nor did they know who I was either. <laughs> <laughs> They're thinking, who is this person? And you've come in and yeah. stormed the field. That's it. I love yeah. that story. That's amazing. Yeah. You go Frank Bush, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. And then obviously you have your conversations, you say hi, and you have that level of respect and nothing against him because as as he would not know, you know, who I was and um, you can just be another Australian swimmer who is interested and if you don't, if you're not, the hard part in swimming, if you're not like, the world champion already they don't necessarily know who you are yeah yeah that's it's a really difficult uh way i mean that was early days i suppose now it's a little bit more e- you know it's easier because we've got social media and people can sort of you know get to know swimmers overseas so i suppose that makes the whole process a little bit easier these days 
But um, yeah, yeah that, that's amazing. And what was that environment like to train with those, uh, with that team, with David Marsh and um, who was the women's coach? Was it? Was it? Uh, it was Dorsey Tyranny Walker at the time. Right. Um, the coaches have, like I was explained to people that uh, although you've got your head men's, head women's coach or head coach overall, mm-hmm. you essentially have like six to eight coaches um, on deck at any one time because, you know, you've got your other assistant coaches and if you did a backstroke session, I've got specific ones. And then um, if we did a team session, you know, they're allocated lanes and it's like you're so well looked after in a coaching perspective that you just don't get fall, well, you just don't fall through the cracks. Yes. Yeah. In a really good way. Yeah. Yeah. And do they um, divide that program up into sprinters, mid, middle distance and, and long distance? Yep. Uh, within a week, yes, um, and it depends on, like, the period of training. So um, I was in the sprint group and we would have um, different kind of sessions because this is where when I think Brett Hawke kind of came in and had a bit of a sprint session. So instead of a two-hour block, one-hour block would be like a power gym session and a one-hour power session, just pure sprinting for that um, session and really working on the top speed all the time. I mean, that was my absolute favourite sessions every week. I'd be, like, so happy to be doing those sessions. But you're just racing. Um, Whereas every week I had, like, in a schedule, we would know, and I could even tell you now, we'd have doubles in a heavier block, doubles Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. In an average training block, it was doubles Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I liked that we were so on top of the schedule in Australia and I think you heard me say it before, I knew that I'd be like, oh, I train six sessions a week. Um, I train 10 sessions a week. When I was in the US, it wasn't ever about the number. It was today is Monday, I've got a double. Tomorrow is Tuesday, I've got a swim session and gym. And no one cared about how many sessions you do in a week. It's just training. It's sort of a different environment and language that they use. And, I mean, there is nothing like it. Like you asked me what was it like. The hard part is, I mean, I wish our sporting world of swimming and our sporting world in general could almost take that environment and bring it here because it cultivates such a healthy team environment but also success because if I, and so what I was saying, for example, in a week, I would have a stroke session, which was backstroke. Um, I'd have a women's session, then I would have our sprint sessions, and then we'd always every Wednesday night or one night a week we had a team set, and team sets were so challenging. And if you had 60 to 70 swimmers, let's say MSAC was our pool, they would put the bulkhead in the middle. We all do the same set, same cycle, but we created this atmosphere where you were just 60, 70 of us are just yelling for each other and racing and, you know, even if it's 10 100s max, Everyone goes, same go, same time. Coaches are all over times, but the atmosphere is absolutely incredible. And that team environment in backstroke, because our backstroke group was so competitive, if I was having an off day and we would line, I would line from one to was one to eight, all eight lanes across the pool, and we'd all be going together. So if I was having an off day on like 1050s max repeats or whatever set was going on, and I'm essentially supposed to be the fastest and touching first, if I have an off day, 
I will have five, six, seven other people out, out doing me. So it keeps you lifting and on top of your training, if that makes sense. Yes. So you just can't let it up, which means training is next level, performance is next level, but you're so invested in it. And then they keep you there because your teammates don't say, oh, I beat you, ha-ha. It's kind of like come with me, yes. do it with me. Like if you're falling off the bandwagon, um, it's like, come on, Rachel, you can do this. And that's the entire culture that we created. And it was amazing. Oh, I love that. I love that culture because that is different to probably the culture that we have here in Australia, although I think with what's happening in Queensland in the high-performance programs at the moment, they're sort of trying to replicate that. So Michael Bowles' program has got so many Olympians. So, you know, they seem to have that really good team sort of going, you know, that sort of philosophy. So let's hope that we can get that here in Australia as well. Yeah, and it, it's hard work to get that, meaning mm. it's it's temperament, it's leaders who truly believe in helping someone younger. Also, the head coach has to then model that because I knew that I was someone, um, one of my closest friends now is Grace Lowe, and, yes, we were mistaken in the swimming world as the same person over and over again. <laughs> we still laugh. Um, <laughs> But she was five years younger than me. And when I had moved back from the US to Vic Center, um, I actively took that mindset with me. And I would have rather had succeeded with her than me do it on my own without her. And I had come from that, like even prior to all those ages, 16, 17, and in the Victorian clubs, and I'd been in those training environments where it's each everyone's in it for themselves yeah you out touch me like you beat me in a repeat in session I don't want to go with you I'm going to do freestyle or I'm going to you know show you that I'm always going to be somehow beating you and when I came back I wanted Gracie under and we just pushed each other day in day out and we loved it but we did it for the togetherness if anything yeah, and now you're still great friends. So that's yeah. crazy what can happen by embracing yeah. that kind of philosophy. That's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. My, my buddies and I often do the variation of that famous Auburn sprint set. The, yes, um, <laughs> which one is that one? one? <laughs> How often did you guys have to do it when you were at Auburn? Oh gosh, which which one are you talking about? Refresh my memory. So I think it's. I think originally it was a hundred. 25. Oh, 100. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, everyone has always asked me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was that. It's funny. I can tell you this is where I say that is probably one of the sets. So the sprinters would do 125s. Yeah. The middle distance would do um, 150s. And then the long distance would do 100 100s. So, wow. like, so same cycle of going, but that's where. You know, when I say an entire pool, we would have MSAC diving pool, all lanes, all same cycle, whatever one goes. Like it was, it's an incredible thing you can create. Yeah. Um, 100, 100, I loved because 25s can do. And what people didn't necessarily realise, and I could still that mental um, rehearsal and how automated it is in my mind. I remember I was 11, 7. 11, 9, because um, I would do so 50 of them backstroke, 50 of them freestyle. And as you got towards the like 50 to 125, 
So this is where like the efficiency would come in and like trying to hone in on your skills as a sprinter. So I could do 50 repeats um, and each time the goal, like so the coach would give us a goal and say, I want you to aim for this every time. So I think mine was 11.7 to 11.9. Within a point to age um, time frame to be hitting, I would I would do exact either 14, 15 kicks, pop up every single time right at 15 metres, seven strokes, hit the wall, 11, 7, 11, 9, and I could do that 50 times on that time. And that's what the the when you're trying to hone in race pace and hone in on your absolute top speed but then replicate it over and over again, yeah. that's what was so valuable about the sprint training that we did as well. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's uh, not quite the uh, level that me and my friends do it too, but that we're aiming for it. <laughs> Don't worry, I've done that. I literally have done that recently in the past year and we would do like 30, 25 or 50 and we will set a goal of just, and I tell them like, um, count your kicks, count your strokes, pick your time and just try to hit it every single time. <laughs> yeah, it gets so much harder when, when that time starts descending, doesn't it? <laughs> Very, and I remember the last ten is like nitty gritty. Just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you probably good did on you for doing it, by the way. Sorry. It's good on you for doing it, by the way. It's really hard. <laughs> it's a hard set. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we did. I don't think we actually finished it off to a hundred. But um, yeah, we got some of the way, so that's good. What prompted yeah. you to hang up your competition bathers? Oh. Um. I'm not sure. So I'm not sure if you know about my story towards the end of the career about my accident. And Only a little bit. So if you're happy to share that, yes, that'd yeah. be great to hear. Yeah. Um, so basically, actually, I have to, I always forget what the date was, but basically um, it was 2012. That was the London Olympic uh, or Olympic trials that year. Um, I obviously didn't make the team in 2012 and, you know, heavily competitive. Um, I have I had the best. I mean, they were the best in the world. Emily Seabom is one of your toughest competitors and um, Bindi Hocking at the time um, didn't make the Olympics. And then we went on a holiday to Bali. So it was actually myself, Grace Lowe and Carl Richardson. Um, and we went to Bali Unfortunately, I didn't do well with heat, but long story short, I fainted on while I was on a moped and I obviously had never done it before. But being a little bit of a big sister to Gracie, I was like, okay, I'll I'll drive this one and give it a go, but I don't handle the heat well given I've just got like body health issues where I don't sweat or internally regulate. Um, and I actually fainted for the first time ever. Um, on a moped in Bali so I sustained um, a head injury Uh, it's a bit tricky because it was still a third world country Um, I had um, I was in ICU for four days I had most of the impact on my head I was wearing a helmet but at the end of the day um Over there, they said I had like a cerebral edema, which is a brain bleed. I think that was an overestimate in a diagnosis, but I ended up having a fractured skull that I later found out from Monash 
uh, medical in Melbourne because I had to go back to hospital. Um, and then from that, I had Bell's palsy where half your face, um, the nerves collapse. And any specialist and professional when that happens, you know, they said to me minimum six months out, no swimming, no exercise. Like we're talking a head injury. Head injuries, you can't sort of do anything to really make it better. The yeah. only thing that heals it is time. Um, had a specialist a neurologist for a second opinion and said that I was able to. So worked with all the concussions and head injuries with AFL. Yeah. Um, said that I could get back in to swimming two months later so then I restarted that journey um back in and it was it was really tough like um I was training yeah I was training with like the head injury thing so I'm very lucky as a psychologist now I did do the neuropsychology testing and I don't have any impairment around like memory concentration functioning um I was actually doing my honors year uh, fourth year honours at the time and I was writing my thesis and I remember I was writing things and it was so hard to put that energy into concentration but I would write like three sentences in one and if you know me I'm quite a I'm just a perfectionist writer and I read over my things over and over again but I wouldn't be able to compute what I was writing um, relearning neural pathways in your body back in the gym swimming while your face is kind of paralyzed um, and I got back in the water nine weeks later. Um, training was tough. Um, also from that, you know, I was so sensitive to sound and noise and you're a bit more irritable given what's happening and family, bless them. But, you know, you're going through all of that. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, and then training was tough in terms of like every time I do a turn because I couldn't, you know, I guess I probably should have used a nose clip, but I was just never really a fan of a nose clip. But every time you did a turn, I couldn't squish my nose and I'm forever, a, you know, a yeah. with your nose and water would just go straight up to your brain and burn. Oh. And I would just keep persisting because I wanted to make the World Championship short course team by December that year. Um, somehow I had made it all the way um back and that was the world cup tour that I had nine weeks and somehow I got back on the bandwagon and I was setting the fastest times um that year in my event and I think I just dedicated my entire mind body and everything to just get back yes. and get to the team um and make it and I somehow made it back on the Australian team favorite to win the 100 back no one had swum faster that year and what I talk about is this moment that I, I can just remember. I can almost put myself back in that space. Um, in those competitions, it was Istanbul 2012, and every country has their little space. I'm lying on the floor and I'm just looking at the roof, headphones in, ready to go, 100 back final. I'm in lane five, so ranked second. Um and no one in the Australian team yet had won a gold medal. And, of course, I was one of the favourites or at least, a, I think, a medal. And probably at the time, I, in some ways, I know Poppy was like, oh, you can be the first or you can be a gold medal. And it's kind of like you don't want that in your head as an outcome. You want to stay in the process. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing about that was I just 
remember that moment and headphones in, lying, ready to go and not the right moment, not the best space for it to happen. But basically I had tears then rolling down my eyes from from that moment and then I had to sort of recoup and regather. And now as a psych and looking back, I can understand exactly what was happening. I did get myself back in. I wanted the fairy tale ending, but I ended up getting fourth and I didn't swim my best race. Um, missed out on a medal. I think I got other medals in in those and a relay medal, but that is still a memory for me because I think I had put everything from my accident as hard as everything was and it just unloaded at the wrong moment. Yeah. And it's so important sometimes to just understand the power of what you feel, what you've gone through, knowing how to stay in that optimal space. And I don't regret it. I, I you know, I, I, I just understand it. And it is by the time I had gone at the end of my career, they had basically said my career essentially, and at the time I'm either going to end on you can't swim anymore um, and you need to have minimum six months, 12 months out, or what I wanted, which was I wanted to make the team, have that be my last team, and I wanted to end it on my terms. And it, I just know myself, it's, I would never have found the resolve if I didn't at least try. Yes. And I had to just go through that process and try and I did it. And then by after that meet, I was just, I feel like every ounce of motivation and things that I had to just take my entire career to there was absolutely done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, it's remarkable that you went through all of that and you were able to come back and get onto that team. I think that's such an achievement. Thank you. I mean... It was one that shifted my entire perspective of life as well. Um, you know, I, I reflect back in just I remember saying I spent more time appreciating that I was alive and it took me a while to realise, it took my brother at some point to say to me in that height of irritability and recovery, you know, he's like, you don't realise another 1% another way, you could not be here anymore. Right. and. Gracie is one of my loving, like, love. I, I'm so grateful for Grace and Kyle. But even when I heard immediately after what I was saying to her, so I experienced traumatic amnesia, which is where, like, I have a window of time, like, 24 to 48 hours, I just don't remember. And I remember waking up in so much pain. I think they cut my clothes off, they, you know, in hospital. And um, when she told me, my, like, heart broke, but I basically was saying things to her, like, I'm so sorry, Gracie, I'm not going to make it or if I'm not here and I was basically saying my goodbyes to her and I have no recollection of being able to, or of saying that but even for her to be able to, um, yeah, to share that with her and know that I was saying that to her, that would have been an equally harrowing but difficult experience for her as well. We're on a holiday, we're overseas and just, yeah, yeah. it was Absolutely. a lot. How did they get you back here? Um, by the end, I was just so swollen. They pumped me up with so much fluids and um, IV fluids. But by the end, they gave me the okay to fly. Um, my parents were on their holiday in Malaysia, but then had an urgent trip and just quickly flew to Bali. Um, wasn't the best in the hospital systems because it was the one trip I didn't have, travel insurance. Um and also being a third world country and how those systems work, I had so many tests done to me for, 
financial gain on their part. Right. When I came back to Monash, um, you know, a lot of it didn't have to be done because like CT scans don't need to be done that frequently. Um, you know, they wanted to check all these things. In the end, I came back to Australia and actually that I was okay then. Within a week, then my Bell's palsy came and my face was then paralyzed. Then I went back to Monash Medical and then they reviewed everything and right. um, told me sort of a more updated analysis and assessment of what I'd gone through. Yeah. What an amazing story, Rachel. I mean, I just, I, you know, I want to congratulate you on being able to get through that and, and move on and now have such a successful um, life as a clinical psychologist. That's amazing and wonderful that you've been able to do that. Thank you. Yeah, it's one that I always hold hold very close to my heart and I am happy to share it in a space that now that I know that there are beautiful messages in it, um, it, it was tough. You know, I have a whole different view of head injuries, one punch things that happen out there in the community, anything like that, because you realise how fragile life can be. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I wanted to move on and ask you a little bit about your work as a clinical psychologist. And I know you work with a lot of different conditions, but um, yeah. one of them is performance psychology. How can yeah. that help athletes with their performance? Uh, what yeah. tools do you give them to, to work towards their optimal performance? Yeah, um, I work with many. I guess it's it's funny because performance psychology probably isn't let's say, um, my specialty in that I work with athletes on a mental health in a more, um, yes, clinical, but also um, looking at the entire athlete. Because when you look at things like, let's say, performance psychology and it's one thing, if there are other things happening in how someone manages themselves or processes emotions or struggles to focus their attention, it will always impact performance. Yeah. So we I probably look at it in that perspective. But one of the, you know, I would say that psychological skills is for the mind is what our exercise essentially is for our body. You know, yeah. our body is still our brain, yes, but there are so many skills in life that you don't, you almost in psychology have to learn by experience or by seeing a psychologist um, or by lived experience. And it's nothing or it's not really so mainstream that it's taught in school you know, to learn how to manage your thought processes. How do you work through your mood? When you're under such pressure and distress, what do you do? You yeah. know, and that's the valuable thing that athletes that I love to talk to them about now is learning how to connect the mind, body, soul and have that be in alignment because that's that thing, you know, when that memory that I was talking to you about when Stolly had said to me, back yourself. Yeah. In that moment, I can remember right now, like it, it's just everything fit into place perfectly. Nothing yeah. was my mind saying, oh, no, I can't do this. Um, I don't know. So-and-so is faster. She's one better. And I was like everything living in the moment where it needs to be. And a good example I always explain to people is everybody has had those races where you feel like you're dying or you're dying too soon or yeah. you just essentially are not present. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like everyone can almost hone in on that moment where your mind says, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I just want to finish, get to the end. You know, something like that, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. And if they start to learn and be aware, as soon as you have that thought, which is your mind, your entire brain and body and physiology will respond, which means in reality, you can be doing backtrack, backtrack, feeling really good and pushing and you push through the pain and you get that one thought and you think, you know, finish. All strength leaves your body, all power, um, the rating, the feel, it's not it's not connected anymore. And when you're in those spaces, it won't, you won't perform as well as you'd like. You're not on track to be progressing, if anything, you know? Yeah. And that's what I try to teach them. I mean, there's many things that we do, whether it's like a keyword or um, mental preparation is quite important because the power of visualization on another layer is also equally important. And I'm blessed that our sports psychologist, who's now one of my um, I love her, but Lisa Stevens, she taught us um, how and the importance of visualisation. So we would rehearse our races exactly in a really nice, perfect arousal space. And could you visualise your entire race hitting every mark that you needed to? And we did it once or a few times where we'd visualise it and then time ourselves if we could get our goal time. Wow. And if when you ride on it, you can actually get your exact goal time, if not um, close to what you would naturally race. And when we practiced it, and I remember you used to practice, you know, within half a second, you yeah. know, it's not that much. And that's how much because the brain doesn't differentiate what is a lived experience in reality versus what you're rehearsing because it's the same pathways that you use. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's really good advice and, um, you know, people, mm need to practice more it's sort of a, a skill that um you know people focus in or hone in on the the physical but the the mental is also of such high importance yeah and even i when i was swimming i had people tell me you know at the olympic games or any any final you have um 10 10 swimmers they're the the most conditioned swimmers you will ever have in their life. Like no one's going to be fitter. You're at your absolute peak. Yet I was even told the person who wins on the day is the person who is the most mentally on top of their game and able to handle the pressures and execute but stay in their lane and the process of just stroke by stroke. You don't want to think about Olympic gold medal. You want to think about, and that's where the keywords come in. Like I think I have one of my brushovers is like corners grip one corners grip and they just needed to stay into the the race you know yeah that is long and strong i think long and strong long and strong <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah is then that's a way to get those sort of unwanted thoughts out of your mind because you're just thinking about the process absolutely and even now i've done it where even as i swim as a not at the same level, but I do know how to manage my physiology a bit better as well as my brain. It's kind of like even when you're in the height of that absolute painful moment where you feel like you've got nothing left and you are not moving, you actually still can breathe effectively enough to work through that. And all you need to do at that point is like hold. You know, I tell myself all the time in those moments it was like hold, hold pace, like don't shorten. But if you breathe through that, it is just so much less painful, but you can get there. <laughs> <laughs> and I think backstroke is particularly, you feel that in those last, when you hit that false uh, lane, uh, false rope, 
I'll slay rope. I'll start yeah. rope is what I'm trying to say, sorry. And yeah. you go into that, you know you've got 15 metres to go and that is the most painful part of, of yeah. that, isn't it? <laughs> right, and if you think about the pain, it's so much worse, whereas if you just keep yourself in the rhythm of the process and breathe through it um, and maintain efficiency, generally you're going to finish the race better. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast um, a fast five questions. So oh, I love, yes. <laughs> Favourite pool that you've ever swum at? Um, the one that pops into my mind was, oh, I don't even know what it's called, um, in, in Phuket, Thailand. I did a training workshop with a team there, but it was just this 50-metre pool surrounded by mountains and forests. It was just beautiful stunning so you're just doing a session and there's just greenery all around you it was beautiful and it was a training academy there a training yeah is that that big that's a sports resort that's there yeah a sports yeah, yeah. yeah. fair and pura or something that yeah yes like then you pura yeah. 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 yeah 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 beautiful yeah so it looks beautiful are you a kick or pool girl oh i like both but kick um kick. It would make sense. My underwater, my legs are always a favourite. So, of course, I was thriving in the kick space. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What's your favourite psych-up music song before you raced? Oh, my God. You know, this is funny because I know this one. Um, <laughs> and this was the one I learnt with my sports psych at the time or Lisa at the time. Um, that was, if you hear Chino in the background, sorry, he's having a cough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like... Waking up. Um, favorite song was Sia, Bulletproof. And sorry, I thought it was coming. Um, and I remember because, and it goes in line with that memory back yourself, because I used to plug my headphones in and there was this tunnel to the pool. Um, and I'd put it in, put her on repeat, and it says something like, oh, it was not bulletproof, it was titanium, I think. Okay. And it says, I'm bulletproof, I'm titanium. Um Something about if you can't fall, like I won't fall, I will blah, blah, and it's just those words I had on repeat in my mind. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Favourite backstroke drill? Oh. Um, I was about to say double arm backstroke, but no, that was just more comfortable. That was just easy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was spin so spin drill seated spin drill um i used to just do it to get the energy power up and really short burst prior to a race and a warm-up right how many strokes in a spin drill maybe like 10 to 16 just getting power 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 um and getting that in and getting that feel and then and favorite all-time training set Ooh. Um, probably the hundred hundreds or, um, I don't even know how I did these at the time. I'm not hundred hundreds, hundred twenty fives that Auburn sprint set. Otherwise we also did an Auburn underwater set, um, uh -huh. hard, <laughs> but I loved it. We would do underwater sets and, you know, we would do hundreds, hundreds yards and you could only breathe at the walls and then do them for time. Um, but there were ones where you would have to do the last lap of every repeat underwater, but it would start from the flags underwater and then into the last 25 all underwater. Wow. Yeah. Was yeah. that all? I used to love those. 
Was that all dolphin kick on your back? Yeah. 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 Because it was super challenging, but because I got so on top of breathing and underwater, it wasn't as challenging. (laughs) Like I could work on getting those minimum requirements and then work on getting there faster and, you know, um, perfect the skill. Oh yeah, that's a great that's a great set. Sounds like a nightmare. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah. <I'm... laughs> yeah, like not easy. And when you're pumped and yeah. you're just trying to keep hold your breath, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a delight catching up with you again after all these years and seeing you so successful and happy in your career and um wishing you every, you know, um sense of good luck moving forward. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I absolutely love these conversations and bringing these memories back. um, They're so valuable in my life, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, take care. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Rachel. Lots of wonderful lessons to learn from this chat, but the main one that comes through for me is her resilience and the fact that she never gave up even after such a terrible accident. You can connect with Rachel on the links in the show notes. Don't forget to check out our new website, torpedoswimtalk.com. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.